All right, well, this morning, could you open your Bible to Romans chapter 1 with me this morning? Romans chapter 1, and I want to encourage you, if you've got an app, you've got a Bible, you've got something that you're going to take with you, don't just look at the screen. We provide screen reading, but uh, much of what I have to say today is, is birthed out of a concern that the things that God says and the things that God reveals just don't get enough airtime in our own souls in comparison to the volume of other information that's available. We live in the information age. It is an age in which we are inundated with information. And it's, it's training us. It's training our reflexes, our mental reflexes on how we respond to life and how we fashion a way forward and what we're excited about, what we're really bugged about. I mean, all those muscle memory dimensions of us. Okay, listen to them. Just honest evaluation as a pastor staring into Christianity in America. Uh, modern Christians have poor muscle memory. And if you're an athlete, you know what I'm talking about. There's a reason why you practice. The reason why you do the same mechanical things physically over and over and over, whether you're swinging a golf club or shooting free throws, you do that so that there's muscle memory. You have been conditioned. You don't have to manage every piece of you because you've done this so many times. You have conditioned your body in that moment to be able to perform these tasks. And there's a, there's a mental muscle memory in the soul of man that when we encounter life and, we, and, and it comes to us or thoughts pops up or an idea gets promoted or a temptation comes. I mean, you guys know Jesus had some muscle memory going on when he faced the, de the, the devil in the wilderness. And he wasn't just kind of like thinking, oh man, I've got to come up with a scripture verse here. Wow, what was that devotion I read like two years ago? It's, it's, muscle memory was there. The enemy came. He was ready to respond to that. The world is at our door like never before. And so when it comes knocking and it comes presenting, I need to have some muscle memory available to me. So we have been studying a, a series on worship and warfare. And those two things go together because worship is the ultimate call of our lives. Warfare is that which seeks to keep us from it. So we are in our second uh, element of, of warfare. We looked at warfare is a personality. It's a demonic presence. Today we're looking at warfare is with the world. And so my, my introductory statement says this, to understand things as they are, one must first understand that they were not always this way. So Romans chapter 1 Beginning in verse 16, pay careful attention to the various words here. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith, as it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness 
and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Right, let me just stop here. I've got a few more verses I want to interact with. But if you just stop right here. There are some essentials in this passage to understanding how to lift up our eyes and interpret the world that we live in and the life we're experiencing. When you go to get up and engage, why why are people doing what they're doing? What's going off in that dude to make him do that? And then after I'm done pointing my finger out there, I have to pause and do the same thing. What's going on in me that's making me do the stuff that I do? All right, there's an explanation here. There is a foundational explanation here in Romans chapter 1. This is a rich chapter that explains so much about life. And if you and I don't encounter the truths of these on a daily basis, and I'm recognizing, I'm pulling this verse out, and someone's going, yeah, I'm, yeah, I knew that was there. Have you thought these verses in the last week? Because every day you're, you're looking for an explanation as to why things are the way they are. But in this passage, things were not always this way. There's a God who created everything. And, and he did something to, I'm going to say he, he did something to wire everything back into himself. He installed a nervous system, if you will, in the universe. And those nerves run, but like your own nervous system, they run all over creation. But they run back to one location. And all of creation in this passage is held accountable to the nature of that one location. So the problem in the universe described here is that there is a universe, there is a world that suppresses the truth. And if you will, the truth is like the nervous system. It suppresses, it cuts off the nerve endings. It, it causes you to stop feeling what the truth is saying to you. And that truth is hardwired back into what in this passage? What can be known about God is plain to them? Verse 20 his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, his divine nature. The whole universe is somehow a reflection of the creator's divine nature. So everything reports back to the nature of God. And if, if you lose this, you know, it's, it's like trying to operate a compass that can't find true north. It, it loses its sense of, is there an absolute that will inform everything about our lives? Well, according to the Bible in this passage, 
Yes, there is. The divine nature informs everything about us, about each other, about our world, about what's coming, about what to think about things. It's all hardwired into this wonderful word, the glory of God. Right? So, you know, I'm, you guys hear me use that term a lot because if I'm, any, if I'm centered on anything as a preacher, I'm centered on the glory of God. There's a lot of, quote, centers out there, Bible-centered, there's gospel-centered. I'm centered on the glory of God. I think central to everything is the nature of what God is like and how he chooses to reveal that. So that's what's in this passage. But something tragic happened that informs everyday life for us right here. Verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but... They, notice these pronouns, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds animals and creeping things look in verse 25 because they exchanged the truth about god for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen that is a key to understanding why this series is being unpacked Something happened in the past of this group called they. We'll explore who they are in just a minute. But something happened in the past. And and it's characterized by these two words. The umbrella word over these two words is fools. They became fools. What did these fools do? They exchanged the truth for something else. And as a result, they worshipped something else. Do you see that? Everybody pause for a second and read it for yourself if you need to. But do you see that there is a relationship between exchanging truth and what you worship? Is everybody with me? Because if you don't pause with me and stay with me, none of this matters now. There is this thing that God created called truth. That all the truth reports back to the nature of God. All of it does. It's in cooperation with him. It's in harmony with the nature of who he is. So truth has boundaries. Truth has definitions. Truth all has to get along with what God's like. And then it informs what we believe and who we are and what we value, what we treasure. It informs what we worship. So there is a vital relationship between what we call truth and what we worship in this passage in our lives as well. But here's the history of the group of human beings that you and I are a part of. They became, became, they weren't always, they became fools. I don't know what your definition of the word fool is. We use it all kinds of way. We use it to insult people. You know, we use it because, you know, court jester, clown, kind of, well, what a fool, right? Somebody who acts silly. I mean, we, we use it all kinds of ways. Who is the fool in the Bible? Well, he's kind of not the court jester, clown, class clown, idiot in your whatever. 
he's described a certain way. This is the fool, Psalm 14. And interestingly enough, Paul's going to go on and pick up. He uses the word fool here. And in chapter three, he picks up Psalm 14. But I'm going to take us back to Psalm 14 to get our understanding of who is the fool in scripture. Psalm 14, verse one, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That is the essence of the fool. There is no God. There is nothing in him that reports back to the centerpiece of the universe. That's the problem. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. They are fools. They are corrupt. There is none who does good. I'm going to come back to this in a second, but do you have a category for they? Besides your in-laws? All right. I mean, theologically, who, who is this aiming at? Who is this trying to explain? They are in a particular condition. They are in that condition. They may be well-dressed. They may have a lot of money in their pockets. They may be influential. They may have lots of followers on TikTok. But they are corrupt. That's who they are by nature. Their condition is corrupt. Verse 2, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any, any who understand, who seek after God, who seek after God. Can you pause here? Because there's some words here that we use differently than the Bible uses. If I were to just say, hey, do you know anybody who just like has good understanding? You know anybody who's kind of like just smart, got good understanding? If that's where I started, none of this was before us. How would you answer that? You'd have a list, right? You'd have some people. But see, the Bible's qualifying this. As soon as understanding is labeled for a human being, God then says, who seek after God. Is that person that you're about to think of? Did they seek after God? They may, got, may have got a 36 on the ACT. Maybe the smartest person you've ever been around. There's nothing they don't know about. Let anything come up and you can have a conversation with them about it. But according to the Bible, if they don't seek after God, they don't understand. And they don't have understanding. So I, I, I'm not sure we think this way. I think we see smart people. You know, Elon Musk must be smart. He's got a lot of money. And we want to hear what he has to say just because he's got access to Twitter. Elon, if, you, if you're not seeking God, you don't understand. That's a fact. Because the whole universe is hardwired with a nervous system that reports back to one being who has a particular nature and who calls upon his creation to respond to him in a particular way. Verse 3. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Oh, let's pause and argue with that for a second. You don't know anybody, Keith, who does anything good, really? I mean, Michael Jordan, he was a good basketball player. Really, really good. Bill Gates is standing up philanthropic care for humanity all over the world. There are people on other continents 
who have drinking water because that man took some of his gazillion dollars and made them have something that's benefiting their life. How do I read this passage? There's none who does good. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. I know lots of people who do good things. We use the term differently than God uses it. And I'm not trying to make everybody allergic to this. Please don't walk out of this meeting going, oh, did did you say good? That's not good. Okay, use the term good. I mean, that's fine. This is relatively better than that. That's kind of what we mean by it. It's not what God means. God stares out at his universe and everything is created for a purpose that has a a nervous system that runs into it that comes back to him and his nature and his glory. So when that gets lost... It's no longer good. Verse 4. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? What is central to this? God himself being sought after, being treasured, being worshipped is central to our existence. So it's not good enough to give God a head nod. It's not good enough to have God in the periphery of your life. Most people in America are going to say something about God's existence. It's the rare person who's the fool who says there is no being called God. No, no. The the fool that doesn't acknowledge God has him on the edges of his life. He's a fool too. Because he's mislocated God. He has failed, as Romans 1 said. I hope you can keep your Bible open to Romans 1. He has failed to honor God as God. That's what a fool does. And once you fail to honor God as God, you, you are going to, by nature, relocate the center of all things. It's just a question of what's going to become your center. So I, I, it's, it's kind of a hard thing to have a lot of things that are in life that are decent things that we... Give a head nod to. We appreciate those things. Even some moral things that go on where people care for the needs of other human beings. And we, and, we, and, we, and we want to associate that with God. And sometimes it is. Often it is. But there's, there's a good word here. It's the, it's the word harmony. Right? Before corruption came, everything was in harmony with God. Right, that word harmony, right? We kind of know a little bit of what, what that means. It comes from the word harmonic. Right, so when you, when you go to tune everything, right, we have a piano in our house. And so when a guy comes to tune that, you know, he has a tuning fork. And you take that tuning fork out and you, you bang it on something and it hums at a particular frequency, an exact frequency. And then you take everything else and you tune it to that. Every one of those strings, I don't know how many strings are in a piano, there's a bunch of them. Every one of those strings takes its cues from that one sound. The piano is in harmony with the tuning fork. There was a moment preceding Romans chapter 1 where the universe was in harmony with the nature and character of God. It is not that way any longer. That's a massive issue. The individuals seated among us today, me one of them, has been touched by something else 
that brought with it the word corruption. I am affected by the corruption. I am out of tune with God because corruption has touched the world that I live in, the world that I came from. So we're gonna, I'm gonna unpack the, the world dimension to you in just a moment. But when Romans describes they have exchanged the truth and worshiped something else, they, they are out of tune with God. The center has been lost. Corruption is now on the scene. And when corruption begins to operate, it wants to proliferate. It wants to. It is aggressive in its nature. Right? So best illustration I can come up with is, is the nature. You know, When God made the human body before corruption showed up, and God made the human body, it, it lived in harmony with itself, with its surroundings, with God. You, know, you lived in an Eden-like situation where you didn't have to worry about, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa Eve, don't eat that. You'll get fat. You know, I mean, it's like, I don't think that existed. Uh, no, that causes cancer. There wasn't any. Everything was in harmony. All that you did didn't have this ability to go sideways on you and land in a place where, oh, I didn't see that coming. But, but now it does. And it does by nature. That's what corruption is. So it's interesting. I was reading this article, Dr. Timothy Kripe wrote an article, and his, his, his title is awesome. He's a, he's a doctor who studies, he's an oncologist, he does, studies pediatric medicine, and he studies cancer. And he, he titled this article, Conquering, and this is so informative, be careful, listen to his words, Conquering the Biological Politics of Cancer. All right, that got my attention just in and of itself. And these are his three words in the biological politics of cancer. Corruption, coercion, and collusion. Basically trying to tell you when a cancer cell is doing its thing, corruption, coercion, and collusion is what's happening inside your body. He says, cancer cells are corrupt compared to normal cells. Each time a cancer cell divides, it becomes more corrupt finding new ways to grow and spread faster and better. It's corrupt. It doesn't answer back to what all the other cells answer back to. It's no longer in the body for the sake of the harmony and good of the body. It has its own agenda. It has exchanged its function for something else. And now it is corrupting the body. And those other two words, which we'll look at a little bit today, more next week. Coercion. It's coercive. Coercion means the practice of persuading someone to do something. So in your body becomes a cancer cell that's trying to persuade other cells to join in with them. Abandon what all of you are harmoniously trying to do. Seek the health and good of this individual. Abandon that and join us in this activity of coercion. Well, that's just an illustration of the world that you and I live in. And it's after this dimension called worship. Remember, worship is the ultimate prize of the universe. I wrote in your outline, worship is formulated 
right, in our world, out of a different reference point or fundamental understanding of what life is. That's what's happening around us. So treasure, value, worth, beauty have a different reference point to that which is corrupt. It does not reflex back to God. When you think beauty, it thinks of something else. When you think treasure, it thinks of something else. It doesn't have a muscle memory that goes back to God and say immediately, you say beauty, I think the beauties of the glory of God. Ah, I wish I did that every time you said the word beauty and treasure and valuable. I wish. But there's corruption in our world. It does not do that. And there is an active warfare against worship. And once you understand that worship is related to where you locate truth and what is central, you understand better, what's the warfare about? Well, it's very much a warfare against truth. Graham Cole, in his book, Against the Darkness, he says, humankind has been created to worship the living God. Jesus in the New Testament told the woman of Samaria that the father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit. That is, in a way that accords with his nature and in truth. That is, in a way that accords with what is revealed through Jesus. Indeed, one way to characterize the missio dei, the mission of God in a broken world, is the divine quest to restore true worship. That's what we start the year off this way. I know we're well into the year and we're still on the series, but sorry. Um, God is on a mission to restore worship, worship, not acknowledgement of him, not even we believe in divine design, not evolutionary processes. Hey man, that, that, maybe that's a step in the right direction, but it's not worship. Worship is the affections of my soul, dependence of my life, the valuing of God above everything else, the celebrating of who he is. That's worship. That's what God's after. It's no accident then that Satan in his broken, Satan in his pride seeks to be the object of the worship due the creator. And it's not surprising that there are hints in both the Old and the New Testament that demons... Satan's entourage members are inciters of false worship. Inciters of false worship. You and I live in a space where inciting false worship is spiritually going on every day. So the warfare that you and I encounter, it's got, I'm going to say it's got three dimensions. I think most people theologically would agree. It has the devil, and I started with him because that's where it started in the garden. But it's got more than the devil. The warfare is not just with the devil. The warfare is with the world, which we're looking at today. The warfare is with our flesh, which is also corrupt, which we'll look at in the future. So you can't just choose to believe the warfare is in one of those three categories, because like it or not, it's in all three categories. And we have to know something about how it's coming to us. So today I want to just talk about the world. I want to highlight this. I want it to sit in us accurately as we interact with this noisy presence in our lives. So first question, do you have an us and them understanding of humanity? Do you have an us and them understanding of humanity? Sounds kind of exclusive, excludes some. There's a lot about that that cuts against the grain 
of our modern world. So right now, some of you are going, I don't know, is this a trick question? Should I say yes? Because it feels wrong to say, well, there's us and there's them. No, that feels mean. Um, all right, the, the, I, just, I just want us to learn to read the Bible. The Bible, it, it doesn't even stop and pause to present this to you and say, okay, hey, before we teach the rest of the Bible, there's this us and them thing. I mean, it doesn't even do that. It just speaks it like this is the reality. There's an us and there's a them. Right? You hear the language? Psalm 14. They have turned aside. Together, they have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. Right? They have decentralized their loyalties and their affections. They have pulled from God that which was uniquely to be his, and they've located it somewhere else. They have done that. And therefore, their worship has gone somewhere else as well. I don't know if I wrote this in your outline, but understand this. The world is always seeking to relocate your worship. Always. It's corrupt. It's decentralized. So by nature, what the world does is not going to help you orient around the nature of God. It is by nature. It's corrupt. The word corrupt is a decentralizing activity. It's going to land your worship, whatever it's promoting, somewhere else besides God. Remember, the world goes to war with the idea that there is one thing, really, that everything reports back to. There's one thing, really. You know how offensive that is to the world? If you want to understand most of the headlines that are in this world, just study the dimension of, the, of an idea that there is one ultimate authority that has a right to tell everything else exactly how to be and exactly how to exist. And you will find the thing that's bugging people the most. Because how dare this group tell that group what they have to believe and do. And that feels like, yeah, that's kind of true. Our laws should, you know, people should have the right to do. They should have the right to do. And, and they should have the right to do. And that's what we're living in, the vocabulary that we hear all the time. But when you read Romans chapter 1, do you get the idea that there was a God who wired everything back into himself and told everything, you report to me. You exist as an expression of my nature. That's what you are. You don't have a purposeful existence apart from me. Everything is wired back into God. And our world today hates that idea. That God would impose on us the reasons and the priorities and the values for our existence. But when we read Romans chapter 1, that's exactly what he did. He is the creator. He made himself known. He tucked enough hints and clues in creation that anybody who's not so corrupt that they want to just flip God off could just stare at creation for a second and know somebody else is in charge of all this. But that gets suppressed, doesn't it? By the corruption of what? By the corruption of the world. And the world is not just corrupt, it is coercive. 
It is seeking to persuade you and me. So it's not just, hey, that thing's corrupt. No, it's it's more like cancer. It's aggressive. It wants to bring others along with it. It wants to bring you and me along with it. The world is a cancer. It wants to corrupt everything it can touch. It wants to decentralize everything. It does not want your life reporting back to God. So therefore, the Bible sounds this way. Now, if, if you get that, and everybody right now is kind of tracking with me, then this is not a shocking thing. First John chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can open there with me. We're not shocked to hear God's wisdom sound like this if everything I just said was true. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world. Really? Well, what is all that's in the world? Well, here's what's all that's in the world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Right, can I just put a parenthesis around that? That is what's left when you decentralize man. When he's got nothing to report back to. When he doesn't hardwire back into the nature of God, this is what he's left with. The desires of his own flesh the desires of his eyes, and the pride of life. And remember that word, corrupt? Goes with these words. These are not from the Father, but it's from the world. They're not from the Father, because they're not centralized, not hardwired back into him anymore. They're from the world, and the world is passing away, along with its desires But whoever does the will of God abides forever. All right, a couple of words here that mess with the way we think through daily life. The world. There is this thing called the world. Do you have a good definition for that? Do you have an awareness? Do you lift your eyes every day as you open your Instagram feed? As you drive down the highway, do you have a living category for the world? The world is coming on display. The world is saying something. Are you prepared to engage something called the world? I think I wrote your outline. When you are doing daily life, do you see the other kingdom? Or are you making the dreadful mistake of losing sight of the warfare? Everything in this world is touched by corruption. Are you mindful of that? Too many Christians do not have a, a biblical language category. When they look at the world, they don't see us in them. They just see humanity. But the Bible sees those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. The Bible sees us that way. The Bible describes the kingdom of God in the kingdoms of this world. It has different categories. Does that sound unfair? I'm not trying not to be obnoxious today. You and I are corrupt in the way we think. We don't manage the word unfair well. There's too much weird stuff in us. Right When humanity in the past, and we have the gene pool from that humanity, decides, 
unplug from God and find something else to plug into and it wanders around and it sticks itself into that thing or that view or that cause or this group of people, the second it does that, you have lost your ability to say what's good. And you have lost your ability to say what's fair and what's not fair. You are unqualified now. Only the God of the universe who knows exactly why everything exists is qualified to say that's good and that's good. And the only hope you and I have to label things correctly is to learn the will of God, to know what he wanted for his creation. So there is this thing in the world. There is another kingdom operating. Do you remember one of the most powerful human beings in the world was ignorant of this? Pontius Pilate. He was one of the most powerful people in the world. To be a Roman governor, there weren't too many people of higher rank than that in the world. So when Jesus shows up and he's got this quietness about him and he's settled and there's this massive threat sitting over his head and he won't speak to Pilate, Pilate doesn't get this because he's one of the most powerful people in the world as far as he knows. You're gonna be silent, really? Do you know who I am? Do you know I have the power to crucify you or to let you go? And Jesus educates this man. Oh, my kingdom is not of this world. And by the way, you would have no power in your little kingdom had it not been given to you by my father. But Jesus knew something Pilate didn't know. He thought his kingdom was the only kingdom. You and I do not live in a one kingdom universe. There are other kingdoms. There are other groups. There's something called the world that's out there. And all that's in the world, this verse says, is not from the Father. Not from the Father. Do you have the ability in our current environment to stare out into the world and go, that's not from the Father. That's not from the Father. That's not from the Father. Do you have an ability to do that? Or does that sound mean? That you're invalidating something. The world feels like everybody should be supporting everything. You loving Christians, sure you're loving. That you should affirm this and affirm this and affirm this. That's what the world feels like. This verse turns around and normalizes the language that the God of the universe stares out at his creation and says, that's not from the Father. That's not from the Father. That's not from the Father. And you and I have these exposure to these sloppy theological concepts that, you know, they're right up there with... Ben Franklin's sayings, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Oh, you know, a Christian should, I don't know, should have done something to silence that in that moment, but it just lives on, right? And some of you right now are going, wait, wait, that's not in the Bible? <laughs> well, Keith, there's two, aren't we all God's children? Am I puzzling you by asking it to you that way? Don't answer the question. This is not a Peter Davison trick, although it is. Aren't we all God's children? Well, it's a little more complicated than that. Are we all God's creation? Yes. Are we all God's children? No. Here, let me illustrate this way. Aren't all angels God's angels? Yeah, it's, that's an easier one, isn't it? Well, in one way, yes. Did any of them self-create? Had Satan been creating his own troop? He created all the bad angels, right? That's what demons are, they're bad angels. 
So where'd they come from? Well, they're all from God. So in some way, yeah, all angels are God's angels, but in another way, they're not God's angels. They're, why? Because they're not in harmony with him. They're not in agreement with the God of the universe. They are rogue. They are corrupt. They are cancerous cells doing their own thing. So when you stare out at humanity, do, do you have categories that some people don't answer to the tuning fork of God? They tune to something else. And you can say God created everybody, but they are not all God's children. And then this passage says all that's in the world. Well, what is in the world? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. This has become the new source, the new epicenter for whatever I'm doing, right? I may have written this in the outline, I don't remember. The birthplace or epicenter of what plays out in the daily spaces of our lives and in the social media feeds of the human arena come from this address. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That word lust, it's, it's cravings, it's desires. Right? I mean, lust, and a bunch of us went, yeah, well, I'm not in the porn, so I'm, I'm, I'm rescued from a lot of that. It's desires. Any of y'all got any desires? It's cravings. It's strong passions. It's ambitions. That's what it feels like inside of you. It supplies a reason for why do people do what they do? Why do I do what I do? Well, there's, there's this remnant corruption that still gets involved with my decision-making that forms its epicenter not out of the glory and nature of God, but out of corrupted desires in my flesh and in my eyes and the pride of life and what things can do for me to enlarge me. These things don't come in the world with a label on them. You know, it's not like going to the grocery store and you buy something, you can pick it up and say, hey, what's in this thing? Oh, it's got this, and oh, I don't want that. It's got way too much salt in it, blah, blah, blah. The world doesn't label this stuff for us. 1 John 2.16 comes along and tells you, look for this. This is why you don't love the things in the world, because this is the ingredients in the world. So when you're viewing pornography or images that qualify for pornography that the world doesn't call pornography anymore, but it just awakens in you a sense of lust towards sex and sexual issues. When, when you're doing that, there's not a little thing down at the bottom of the page that's saying 73% lust of the eyes. There's a little label down there saying that. It's not saying that to you. But it is that. It's exactly what that is. When the person is posting their 24th selfie of the day, because somehow they have the impression that everybody in the universe needs to know what I look like all the time. That doesn't come. Your Instagram feed doesn't jump up and say 37% pride of life. It doesn't say that. But you do need to figure out, why am I doing this? What is going on in me that makes me want to do this? And then we live in a world that's teaching us. This is my massive concern. It's discipling us. It's a classroom every day teaching us how to think about things. So... When the word racism comes up, 
Where'd you get your education about racism? Who taught you to define that word, to understand that word, to understand why people are doing what they're doing? Who taught you that? 1 John 2, verse 16. The history of people oppressing and harming other people is in 1 John 2, 16. It's in Romans chapter 1. They decentralized God and they lost any sense of understanding the value system in this world. So you become expendable to me. And you just happen to be a racial difference or an ethnic difference. There's something about you that I can exploit. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is driving humanity to do these things. But, but we're learning about racism from politicians who are working a different angle from civil rights movements have taught us how to think about racism, what the nature of it is. Can I just say, these are massive mistakes. What has educated us about our views of, of power abuse? For years and years and years, people with, people who had stuff, have used their power at the expense of somebody else. Pick a people group. Could be racial, could be wealth-related. People had a lot of money, taking advantage of poor people who do not. History of the world. Men with power, using that power at the expense of women. So there's this power abuse thing that's gotten highlighted. The world, the world, remember the corrupt world who said we don't need God. We're fools labeled by the scriptures. We are corrupt. We do not take our cues from God, but we're going to teach everybody about power abuse. Oh, really? So next thing you know, we see something happening in human nature and, and we're hashtag me too and we're informed as the people of God by feminism about how to understand male and female relationships, what's appropriate, what's not. Can I just, there is a massive shift going on right now in the body of Christ that is abandoning biblical presentations of the God of the universe who said, I made them male and female. Men do this and women do that. And if I'm hardwired back into God, I don't mind hearing him say that because he owns everything. But if I'm hardwired into feminism, I don't like the way this sounds. I don't like being told I don't get to do this. Oh, have you read Romans one? That's the nature of what makes everything proliferate its corruption. They did not see fit to honor God as God, as the one who has the right to determine everything's existence. They didn't see the need for that anymore. They didn't all acknowledge God any longer, Romans 1 says. So God gave them over to their corruption. And they're like a cancer cell thought of one bad idea after another. And they all got together. And they started publishing things and creating podcasts and posting stuff. And teaching everybody how to think. You know, more Christians, there are too many Christians who can talk to you about uh, democracy and economics and uh, policies of, of taxation and, and whether or not something is too socialism. But they know next to nothing about greed 
You know, the Bible has a whole lot more to say about greed than it does about tax policies. Hey, we're, we're a bunch of suburbanites, right? We still think Reaganomics. A bunch of people in this room could define Reaganomics for me right now. But could you find me a Bible verse on greed? Right? We, we are losing touch. Right? Let me give you one last illustration. I'm going to use one more verse. Where the world is out-discipling us. I know this, I'm going to break some news to you. I don't know if you've heard of this thing called uh, climate change. Have you heard of that? It's kind of new. Um, so there's this thing called climate change out there. And it gets mentioned whenever there's some kind of a natural disaster, bad weather event, wildfires. I heard somebody, man, just the length of explanation they had about ice melting a gazillion miles away from something else that's happening in another part of the country. That's, that's causing this. And of course, what's causing that is all you people with your giant carbon footprint. And so this, this is the common fodder. These are the discussions. And so Christians start talking about, about climate change. We've got to talk about this climate change thing. There are churches who are speaking from the pulpit about earth issues and climate change, etc. Can I tell you a word that I don't hear? Birth pains. Birth pains. Where's that word come from? Mark chapter 13. It comes from the Son of God describing the last days of life on planet Earth. Verse 4. Crowd said, tell, tell us. His disciples said, tell us. When will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Why would he have to say that? Well, because the world is coercive. By nature, its corruption seeks to spread to everything it can spread to. See to it that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. I'm not sure the narrowness or the breadth with which we can interpret that particular passage. Did Jesus mean that, you know, people are going to grow a beard and, and look like our image of Jesus and say that he's Jesus Christ. He's, I'm the second coming of Jesus. Was this, was this about the David Koresh's of the world? Is that what Jesus was warning us about? Maybe. But here's what humanity is looking for. Humanity is looking for a savior all the time. Humanity is looking for what will solve our problem. There's lots of those today. See to it that you are not led astray because the second you give permission to somebody out there to define your problem, you now will listen to their solution. And quite honestly, I don't hear anybody who's defining our problem out of Romans chapter one or 1 John chapter two. I'm not, I'm not hearing that. So yeah, they're trying to solve problems and they're making it sound like if we could just we could just get this climate change thing fixed, right? The betterment, the salvation of humanity is, and, and the window's closing, isn't it? If we don't do something soon, oh, it's going to be irreversible. And there's panic 
even for Christians. Did Jesus know this was coming? Verse 7, when you hear of wars, and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. It will happen, Jesus says. It's going to have your Ukraine's and your Russia's situation. It's going to be in this world. Why? Because the world is corrupt. It's decentralized. You're never going to teach the corrupt world to get along with each other. They will have moments where the lust of my eyes sees something that you got that cooperating with you is better than killing you. But my reasons are what? For the glory of God? No. My reasons are for my own issues. And as long as your issues align with my issues, we'll have peace. But when your issues stop aligning with my issues, we'll go to war and I'll kill you too. This is the corruption that's in man. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of climate change. I'm sorry, of birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sakes to bear witness about the advantages of solar and wind over fossil fuels. Be ready to give an explanation. Study and read everything on Google you can find so you can explain how those idiot baby boomers corrupted the whole world with all their fossil fuels. Be ready to defend this. I'm I'm sorry, is that what the world sounds like to me? It does. I'm just thinking this is what the Bible sounds like though. In these last days, bear witness before them of what? Verse 10, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. What is Jesus worried about here? Carbon footprints? He's worried about the gospel. The weight of the concern of the son of God who we take our cues from is the gospel in this world. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious before him. What you're to say, say whatever is given you in that hour, for it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death and father. His child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You know, it's crazy that the tone of that is happening. And, you know, just tell younger people, you're being taught how to relate to the generation before you, and you're being taught to hate them. And the reasons you're being taught to hate them are not because of how they handled the gospel. It's because of how they polluted your planet. It's because of some of the social dynamics that got created on their watch. And this is where I say, younger person, especially younger person, do you know Romans 1 better than you know whatever TikTok is saying? Because Romans 1 does not find the issues where the world has told you to find the issues. Romans 1 says, the problem with man 
is not what the generation before you did to the planet or what they did to you. The problem with man is that they have unhooked from God and no longer honor him as God. He is not central to everything about them and they've plugged into something else and they're doing life that way. Hey, did the people who came before you do that? You want to be angry? Did your parents do that? Or did they defend the gospel and live for the glory of God, but maybe they don't mind driving a big stinking SUV? Or whatever else is dividing us. They don't believe in vaccines the way you do. Be ready when you go before governors to do what? To defend the conspiracy theory? Can can you hear how out of step we are? with what Jesus sounds like. He is not, he is not all trapped in these issues the way we are. Can I press one more hot button? What about guns? Do you know there's people shooting each other out there? Well, I'm assuming when nations rise against nations and you hear of wars and rumors of wars, there's a people group not getting along with another people group and doing horrible things. I assume that's what's being described there. So advanced press release, you and I will live in a time where people will do horrible things, including shoot each other. Where's your muscle memory in that moment? What are you running back to to figure out? How do I, how do I feel about this? You going back to Romans 1? You going 1 John 2? Or is the NRA your source of revelation? Or conservative or liberal politics over a topic? Is that, is that what our muscle memory goes to? So the second you hear somebody say, well, do away with every gun. Oh, Oh, I mean, I come to life like I'm going to proclaim something, but it's just not the gospel. I'm going to proclaim something about my view of guns. Here, let, let, let me just offend both parties here. Second Timothy chapter three, <laughs> verse one. Get everybody to not like me after today. The apostle Paul looks into our day by the Holy Spirit and says this, but understand this, that in the last days, there will be, Come, there will come. There might, no, 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 no. There will come times of difficulty, church. Brace yourself. For people will be, how can he say this? Well, because he knows they're corrupt. And remember, just like that cancer cell, when that corruption goes from here to here, it it mutates and becomes more corrupt. And then it becomes more corrupt and it becomes more corrupt. So that's the world that we're living in. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. Why does that guy take that gun and shoot that person and steal whatever they own? Why does he do that? Because people will be lovers of self and lovers of money. So whatever you got... I don't value your life as though you were made in the image of God for the glory of God because I don't plug into that. God's not central to my thinking and you got some shoes that I want on your feet. And so it just makes sense to me to use my value system and take your life. 
People are arrogant and they're proud. They're abusive. They're going to abuse their roles, their power. They're going to abuse other people. Does this inform you when you hear somebody flood the notion of defunding the police? Have you thought theologically about defunding the things that restrain evil in our world? Have you thought theologically about that? Not about what your favorite politician says about it, but theologically about it. You, you really want to remove restraint from people who are in the end times going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, and abusive? You want to unrestrain them? Really? I don't, I don't care what politics you're into. This informs our worldview. We're interacting with a corrupt world that's hawking its ideas to us. Do we sound like this? He says they're going to be disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless. You want that guy to own a gun? This is a little harder than playing politics, isn't it? Because the Bible describes a corruption that's in people. Put a gun in that guy's life and see what he does with it. Oh, but we I got a view on guns, man. I understand. I got a view on guns too. I just want to be careful that the corrupt world didn't teach me my views on these things. Whether it's whatever, racism or guns or whatever it is that the culture is making so much noise about. God has said some things. And the, the reason why we're in the weeds in the world is because we exchange the truth about God. And we worship other things now. And some of those other things are pretty. And some of them are downright ugly. But there's still something other than God. And so where am I going to land? Here's, here's my landing point. Next week, I want to pick up Romans chapter 12 so that we can deal with the coercion of this world. It's coercive, right? Romans 12 sounds this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies. Right? This is a muscle memory exercise. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Next sentence, because worship and truth have a relationship with each other. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What is the hope that we would ever get our worship right? We, we must believe right. We must see the right things. We must treasure what is valuable. And the world is corrupt and coercive. It is pressuring and shaping us every day. Don't let it do that, the Bible says. So therefore... Romans chapter 1, it's not a small deal, is it? Because it teaches us how to filter the ideas of the world. 1 John chapter 2, not a small deal to understand the nature of corruption operating in every human being, including ourselves. Not a small deal. But maybe I don't know those verses. Maybe I haven't spent enough time learning that because I'm learning so many other things. And that is a dangerous place for the church. We need to sharpen our discipleship. Discipleship is about learning. It's about an emphasis on the teaching dynamics of the word of God. It's about learning things from God. So whether that's personal learning, gathered learning, we need to sharpen our discipleship activity. So one of the reasons dinner and discipleship is we're trying to stand up more efforts in discipleship, right? So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
sell this to you, and then we're going to pray, and we'll be done. Right? Big books. Big, worthy books, and some small ones. Right? So there's a foundations class that's going to study the book of Ephesians. It's, it's not just going to be a study in the book of Ephesians. It's going to help pull from Ephesians the things that are foundational to your existence as a follower of Jesus. So may, maybe you haven't really done that in your life. Like you need to. And this is going to be a class that teaches you how to read and study the Bible as it's doing it. So you're going to get some help in, hey, I don't know how I'd study Ephesians. Well, this is going to help you learn how to study a Bible book and be influenced and affected by what it teaches, right? We need that, right? So another class has this massive book in it, which you can buy the little version of the first couple of chapters that it will go through. So this will be a partial study. We're not going to study this whole book in six weeks. But can I say, of the few things every Christian should own, you should obviously own a Bible. I would obviously encourage you as well to own a study Bible, a good one. And, and then after that, I would put pretty close to the next thing, own a systematic theology. So uh, this is a $35 book, which is, you know, a few visits at Starbucks, I think. Um, it is an investment that you will make and you will keep this book. And 30 years from now, if you're still alive, you will still be using this book. So yeah, it's 35 bucks. Oh, and then there's a workshop, work, uh, workbook that goes with it. And there's, there's homework in this class. Oh my gosh. Why would we do that? Well, because we really want to learn something, not just attend something, right? So this is probably another 10 bucks or so or more than that. I don't remember how much this, this one was. All right, so together, you know, you may got a 50 something dollar investment in attending this class. Uh, but can I just say, we, we need to invest in discipleship. Our spiritual muscle memory runs back to the world faster than it runs back to the truth. And if we're all humble enough, we will recognize that. The other class is on marriage. In a world that can't figure out who's a boy and who's a girl, I'm pretty sure it doesn't know how to do marriage. And it's teaching us every day we might need some help being discipled in the category of marriage, right? So we're trying to develop a curriculum that's going to slide its way into all of our educational spaces so that we can feel like over the course of time, you're being equipped with critical, vital things to walk in this world. And we need it. Amen. All right, let's stand up. We're just going to pray together. Father, I pray for two things as we close today. Lord, I pray for every person who's here listening to Romans chapter 1 and maybe hearing it for the first time and realizing for themselves their idea about God has God on the edges of their lives. He is not central to everything. His nature, his purpose does not invade every aspect of my life. Listen, if that's you this morning and something inside of you right now is saying, that's not how I want it to be. 
I don't want to just have some distant awareness of God's existence. I want the God who made me to be the center of everything about my life. Well, if you want that, tell him that right now. Invite him. Say, Lord, I, I hear something that I want. I want you. I want your gospel that was spoken about in this passage. I want the grace and mercy and forgiveness that Jesus Christ brought into this world to give to me. I I want that. I'm asking for it. Forgive me, Lord, of everything that I've done as I've been building my own life my own way, plugged into other stuff. And I'm just realizing this morning I've been doing that. How would you forgive me for that? You have glorious purposes. You created everything. You created me for a purpose. Lord, I want that purpose. This morning, I'm telling you, I want that purpose. And I'm turning from everything else and I'm turning to you. Lord, would you come teach me and open my heart to you and draw near to me and help me know you. I want to follow you. I want to live for your purpose from this day forward. I want to pray for us as a a church, as the people of God, those watching. Lord, we live in the world. It's noisy. It's influential. It's coercive. It seeks to persuade us every day out of its own corruption. It seeks to sell us its own ideas, its approaches, its own sense of rewards and values. It wants us to worship where it worships. Lord, that's the world that we live in. God, would you awaken our discernment as we travel through this world? God, give us spirit-given abilities to say that is not of the Father. And that's not of the Father. And God, I only want what's of you. I want, I want for my life, for my family, for my church. I want for the world that I live in, the things that are from you, Lord. So God, would you lead us in this moment of war to be worshipers of you, to locate the truth and who you are in your glorious being, and to worship you wholeheartedly in spirit and in truth, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Hey guys, uh, don't forget all those resources are mentioned on the back of your bulletin. And there's also a QR code you can scan for dinner and discipleship that'll let you register. So help yourself.